Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport as we react from Wembley as Liverpool win the Carabao Cup in the most dramatic of circumstances. Alex Crook is at Wembley, Darren Lewis was at West Ham and Trevor Sinclair is with me, Sam Matterface, as we pick through a seismic week in the world that's spilt into the Premier League. We will try to concentrate mainly on the football because that's what you came for, but we will touch on Roman Abramovich stepping away from Chelsea. Uh, Marcelo Bielsa was sacked as the Leeds coach, Manchester United failed to beat Watford and Wolves failed to score for the 12th Premier League game in uh, this season. City play poorly, but don't pay the penalty. And Newcastle are in seventh heaven. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. So for the first time in seven years, this trophy will be residing outside of Manchester. But where? Liverpool and Chelsea head-to-head in the domestic final for the third time. And if blue has been the colour in those two previous showpiece events, the Reds now eye records and revenge. Havertz has got it now. Man for the big occasion, as he's proved in the Chelsea colours already. Has been quite a place in him. What a save from Kelleher. That's standing chance for Chelsea. Mane setting up Keita. Good save. Mane on the follow-up. Tremendous save. save. Unbelievable save. What a stop. The first one was good enough. The second save is out of this world. Wow. Alexander-Arnold clipping it in, heading back across the face of goal, and put in for 1-0 Liverpool. And that roar is from the Chelsea supporters to our left-hand side, with the news that it has been chalked off. It remains 0-0. Now it's worked over the top, Favana clipped in, what a save from Keller, but he can't keep it out, only for the flag to come up, and Havertz is the latest player denied. We will be going to extra time. How both goalkeepers have got kept clean sheets to this point has been absolutely remarkable to tell you the truth. Lukaku in towards Havertz through the tight end, in, through the goalkeeper, flag comes up. Yep. Doesn't count. There's action on the Chelsea bench, you know. Kepa-Aretha oh, Balaga I see it, I see it. is getting ready. I don't care how, many, how great he is at saving penalties, you're not going to put him on for Mendy oh. today, surely. Mendy will save one with his teeth. Honestly, he's been unbelievable. It is Liverpool who win the League Cup. 
Chelsea nil, Liverpool nil. Liverpool win 11-10 on penalties. What a wonderful cup final and settled in the most dramatic of shootouts. Kepa missing the crucial penalty, but it was just a brilliant, captivating cup final. Uh, Crookie, you were there. You were still there. What was it like to be in the stadium watching that terrific game? It was absolutely fantastic. The first time uh, I think that we've had a, a full house for a domestic cup final at Wembley since uh, the EFL Cup final of two years ago when Manchester City beat Aston Villa. Uh, both sets of supporters impeccably behaved. As far as I know, there was a wonderful uh, show of unity to the people of Ukraine before the game. I thought that really set the afternoon off in the perfect way. And the technical quality on show was outstanding. The only surprise was that it finished nil-nil. Some great opportunities squandered. Mason Mount missing two sitters for Chelsea. I think they'll still be on his mind when he put his head on the pillow on Sunday night. A couple of controversial decisions, maybe. Adrian Durham was texting me during the game. He felt that Liverpool's goal scored by John Matip should have stood. I certainly felt like Romelu Lukaku was onside. That goal ruled out as well. And then you had the penalty shootout drama. The pre-planned decision, Thomas Tuchel admitted to me that it was already in his mind to bring on Kepa Aretha Balaga. Should it go to penalties? I think with hindsight, maybe he'll regret that call because Edouard Mendy, for me, was man of the match during the game. So it seems strange that you would take him off. I get why he did it because I covered the Super Cup game against Villarreal and obviously it worked on that occasion. It didn't this time around. And what, three years after his histrionics in one League Cup final, it was his penalty over the crossbar that cost Chelsea this final. Maybe that's a bit of karma for Kepa. Yeah, look, I mean, the other thing is, what you've got to remember is, is that he spends so much time doing penalty practice with the strikers. Ever since he was dropped by Frank Langpard, he stays out after training and he saves penalties. And, and one of the reasons, and I think Thomas Tuchel sort of said this after the game, maybe in the press conference, he said, look, the reason we shot, shot so well during the penalty shootout, and remember, both these two teams were brilliant from the penalty spot. You know, Kepa, some people were saying, well, you know, he didn't get a hand to any of them or he didn't get uh, close to saving them. He actually got very close to saving the one from Ibrahima Konate, and he got very close to Van Dyke's and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold's penalties went the right way, but they were just hit so well. And you've got to remember, when you are a goalkeeper, you're second favourite to reach the ball because you can't dive as quick as they can kick the ball. So they were brilliant penalties. You've got to give credit to the penalty takers because there were 21 consecutive penalties scored in that game. I mean, look, okay, so his penalty is still coming down from orbit. But, you know, up until that point, it was impeccable. And Cueven Kelleher was oh. absolutely superb. He was nerveless. And I've got to give him a massive, massive shout out. You mentioned about missed opportunities. I'm, I'm, I'm probably in, in agreement with you about the uh, Joel Matip goal, because Van Dyke interfering with Rudiger was very slight contact, I thought, um, and it was very harsh to overrule it. But I must admit, I do think that that played on the mind of the officials when they then disallowed the Lukaku goal in extra time that was measured from completely the wrong place. So I think they were trying to sort of uh, atone for their previous error there, but, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. And maybe that explains why when I spoke to Thomas Tuchel live on TalkSport, he wasn't particularly agitated by the decision to rule out the Lukaku goal. In fact, he had a big smile on his face throughout the interview, which, as we know, is not always the case with a Chelsea manager in defeat. What surprised me about it was how quickly the check for that Lukaku goal was over compared to how long they took over the, the Liverpool goal scored yeah. by Matip. I think it was a bad weekend for VAR. We'll, We'll come on to the, the handball decision or, or lack of decision in the in the Everton Manchester City game later 
once again, I think the VAR official at Wembley does have a lot to answer for, probably when it comes to both those calls. And miraculously, I think Stuart Atwell did an okay job. Well he done did. to him. He did. He did. Yeah. He did a good job. And I must admit, when he was given the cup final, I was a bit concerned about it because his regular performances haven't been uh, up to scratch this season. Uh, Chelsea had a brilliant start. They should have scored inside six minutes. The headlines will be created because Ma- Mason Mount, you know, he's English. Everyone will talk about him. People got a thing about him. He missed two chances. But Pulisic actually missed a guilt edge chance right at the beginning of the game after six minutes with a brilliant cross from Apilicueta. Havertz, who I thought was terrific. You know, he's brilliant drifting into the channels and tremendous at creating space for others. Uh, you know, he, he did incredibly well. Um, Alexander-Arnold's cross, beautiful for Mane's header on 18 minutes, but he couldn't hit the target. And then after that, Liverpool seemed to take control up until half-time before, actually, just before the break, Mount has the chance and then straight afterwards has the chance as well. But Mendy's double save from Mane was unreal. It was one of the best cup final saves I've ever seen. Yeah, although I think Mane should have scored. Um, credit to the goalkeeper. But again, I think that was a, a guilt-edge opportunity. I positive well, listen, that. I will be positive, but football's about goals and it finished nil-nil. Uh, that was the only <laughs> disappointment uh, on the day. Uh, yeah, I thought Havertz was impressive, but I actually felt like Lukaku uh, looked more like uh, a, a tip-top form Lukaku when Too he often offside, came on. Though. Him and Werner, when they came on, they were always offside. I mean, Havertz actually scored again. I've, I've lost count of how many times Chelsea put the ball in the net. And were ruled out for offside. But, you know, Havertz offside. A Werner offside from that ball where he centred it into the Havertz uh, for Havertz's goal. Crazy. Mane had a strop when he came off as well, didn't he? Did yeah, I wasn't happy. That? Yeah, it wasn't happy. And, and again, watching that, actually, I've said it before on this podcast, I think he'll be the odd man out, you know, because I, th- I thought uh, Diaz playing in his first major cup final, first major game at Wembley, I thought he was outstanding. And it's yeah, the old cliche that... Uh, players coming from foreign leagues need time to settle in the Premier League. He doesn't look like he'll need any time to settle. They have to keep Mohamed Salah. I, I spoke to Ian Rush actually before the game and, and he encouraged him to commit his future to Liverpool and quotes go on and be a legend like Steven Gerrard, uh, like Kenny Dalglish. I just don't see how they keep Salah and Mane and I think Mane will be the one to miss out and, and probably end up signing for a, for a new club. They do play a lot of games, though, don't they? I mean, Mane's getting on a little bit. I, it's it's one of those situations where actually Liverpool may well, if they do keep hold of him, they, they might be unstoppable going forward. I mean, they're terrific. I mean, and the fact that Chelsea kept them out for so long was 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 testament to their defensive abilities. There was one particular incident where Thiago Silva, Mo Salah, actually, I think the shot might have been going wide, but he clipped it round uh, Mendy. It was heading towards goal, and Thiago Silva, as he always seems to do, just was in the right place at the right time to hook it back. He's like 39 years of age or something now. For Thiago Silva, I'm, I'm, I'm extending him by a couple of years, but anyway, he's very old in comparison to most other footballers. In fact, he's older than no, he's not older than you, but he's nearly there. Uh, <laughs> two, two more quick points uh, before we move on to, to the Roman Abramovich story. Um, one, do you want a crooky bold claim? Go on then. Two defeats in 49 now for Liverpool. I think them getting their hands on their first domestic cup in a decade will give them the confidence now and give them the momentum. I think they'll go on and overhaul Manchester City. I think they'll win Ooh. the Premier League. Oh, here we go. He's, he loves a flip-flop, this boy. It was over in January, remember? Now, now Liverpool are going to win the title. It's only taken a couple of weeks. It's uh, it's nothing like a little bit of a reversal of fortune for you to start uh, picking a side who you think might win. And you, all you want to do is back a winner, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and the second, you... po- the second point. 
Look, and, I want to quickly just say, you know, we've got to pay testament to Jurgen Klopp because we give him a lot of cr- uh, criticism yeah. about the fact that he hasn't taken the cup seriously and he has now landed the, the, the League Cup and they did take it incredibly seriously this year. They made sure they got to the final with some terrific performances. There was a particular game against Leicester City in the quarterfinal stage that I was at where they were down and out in that game. He changed it at half time because he played too many youngsters. He knew that. He switched it around. Boom, they've won the cup. So congratulations to Klopp. Congratulations to, to Liverpool. They've done... A great job in putting pots on the, on the, uh, on the, in the mantel, on the mantelpiece, whatever it is, a trophy cabinet, whatever. Go on. Do you want to say one more thing about the? the game? No, I just want to say, watching the game uh, as a Manchester United supporter, it just emphasised again the gap between where United are at the moment and where these two teams are, and where Manchester City are. And actually, you can probably say that for Arsenal and Tottenham as well. And I think it will be a long time uh, before that chasm is closed. I think these three are going to go toe to toe for a number of seasons. Okay, um, let's talk about the other story which sort of came. Uh, well, so I suppose the, the game sort of came under the shroud of the Roman Abramovich statement that he was giving stewardship of the club to the Chelsea Foundation. I mean, what do we know about that? Because, you know, there are reports. One MP is tweeting that actually the Chelsea Foundation haven't accepted the student stewardship of the club yet. We have to be a little bit careful about how we handle this story because it is slightly on the on the verge of, of being a, a, a legal issue so we have to make sure that how we identify it is of fact only Abramovich still owns the club yeah no transfer of shares has taken place and actually it's only the day-to-day running of the club which has switched to the Chelsea Foundation that they've claimed and um Bruce Buck, I think, is in charge of that foundation. He's the chairman of that, and he was the chairman of the football club anyway. So day-to-day responsibility doesn't actually switch from Marina Granaskaya, who has been in charge for the last four or five years since Ron Gourlay gave up his position as chief executive, and Bruce Buck, who is the chairman. Yeah, and I, I asked Thomas Tuchel directly about that after the game, and he says my day-to-day role doesn't change. I've been reporting to Marina anyway, and, and that will continue. I did think that both Bruce Buck and Marina Granaskaya looked a little bit uncomfortable uh, before the game, when obviously the spotlight was put on them because of the the uh, support for Ukraine messages that were being sent out by the EFL around Wembley. I think it's a really difficult situation. I think Chelsea fans rightly uh, were disappointed on Saturday night when the, the statement from the owner came out and, and didn't really refer at all to, to what is happening in Ukraine. I think they'll be... when re- they did release a statement about it, they, 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 it, was, it was 23 words long, and it seemed to be sort of ticking a box rather than actually coming out and, and, and talking about the war which was started by Russia. But so, I know it's a very tricky situation for him yeah. to get involved in. But, you know, you either make the statement or you don't make the statement. You, you don't try and straddle two, two different things. What, what did encourage me is that, uh, as we know, sometimes when we're uh, given interview opportunities... Football clubs will say certain subjects are off limits. I, I sort of expected Chelsea to do that today when I spoke to Thomas Tuchel. They didn't. I asked him about the the, the the statement put out by the owner. As I say, he said nothing changed for him. But I did get the impression, based on what he'd said pre-match as well, about it casting a cloud over the club. I think he's relieved uh, that this statement was made on Saturday night and that he can now go about his business. I don't know if it's the last that we will hear about it. I, I still kind of suspect that if sanctions are imposed on Roman Abramovich, then the fact that he's handed over stewardship as opposed to ownership uh, means that Chelsea could still come under that banner. And I guess that will be the concern for the Chelsea fans. We'll only really know that 
in the fullness of time. But this is paying lip service, really. It isn't um, him putting his shares up for sale. He's, he's not calling in the, the debt that he, he has. He's hoping oh, uh, that it, it takes the spotlight off Chelsea. I don't know if it will or not. And BP today have relinquished their 19.58% stake in Rosneft, which I think is the, the Russian uh, energy company. So, And they've been made to do that by the government. So it does feel as if there are further sanctions coming down the line. And, you know, it looks like a preemptive action on Chelsea and Abramovich's part. And, you know, I think there'll be some people asking questions, what it really means, what happens in the future. You know, football is irrelevant, by the way. Let's just put our hands on the table and, yeah. uh, you know, tell the truth about it. It doesn't matter. If Chelsea end up going bust over it, you know, it will be sad for the people that are there. And I hope that that does not happen for them and that they don't lose jobs and there is no problems in terms of those people's futures. But ultimately, there is a disastrous conflict going on in the east of Europe. And that is obviously a more salient issue than than, than football. And I think everybody can sort of... uh, underscore that and believe in that and, 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 can, and can agree with us on on that in particular. Yeah, just perhaps what it does highlight, though, is, is uh, the way that the football ownership is, is, uh, is handled in this country, because if Roman Abramovich's assets were frozen and if Chelsea, uh, as a result of that, came under that banner and were sent into administration, that would obviously be a huge problem. We saw it at Portsmouth uh, with their former owner. You'll remember it well, Sasha Geidemack. We put a lot of money into the football club. They won the FA Cup. They had half the England team on their books at one stage. His assets were frozen and they did go bust and they plummet all the way down the division. So maybe there is a warning here uh, for the Premier League, for the EFL and for the FA that that still they need stricter rulings. It's not just football though, Crook, is it? You know, let's be completely honest about it. You know, it's about all sport and sports washing which has taken place. I'm not suggesting for one minute that that has happened in this circumstance because we don't know. But... One thing that EFL chairman Rick Parry said before the game to you on TalkSport was that sports washing was an issue, but it works both ways. And I suppose the one thing we can say is that this week, sport itself has stood up and shown solidarity with the people of Ukraine. And I must admit, I'm very proud that every single match that I've been at, that has happened over the course of the weekend. Right, the other Sunday game was at the London Stadium and it was big for the race for the top four. Wolves ended a miserable week with a yet another defeat to a top four rival and our very own Darren Lewis was at the London Stadium to watch. West Ham won, Wolves nil. West Ham somehow are still in the race for the top four. Thomas Suchik scoring the goal to see off Wolves and to leave West Ham fans still in amongst it despite the fact that they could only draw their last two games, games that they had been fully expected to win. Do you know, I'm starting to think that they might be fated to actually make it into the Champions League. So many other teams around them playing a game of footballing, snakes and ladders, getting into that position to strike, but dropping points. United did it against Watford Uh, On Saturday, Arsenal, yes, you can start to get excited about them, but they often let you down just as you start to feel that they could really push on. And as we know, Spurs have got that soft centre. I think as far as West Ham are concerned, they have every chance. The big question is, can they balance a top four challenge with competing for the FA Cup? They play Southampton at St Mary's on Wednesday and the Europa League. I'm not so sure, but they continue to defy the odds time and again, so why not? 
That was Darren Lewis at the London Stadium reflecting on West Ham United's victory over Wolverhampton Wanderers. More big news on Sunday was the confirmation of the sacking of Marcelo Bielsa after Saturday's thrashing at the hands of Antonio Conte. United with two minutes to go. You need to be thankful that he arrives in Leeds because he changed not only the place, he changed everything on, on Leeds around him. And the ten men of Leeds have crumbled once again. And it's Derby County who are surely heading to Wembley. He's going to hit it and it's supposed to go in. 5-0 for Leeds United and Patrick Bamford has his goal. And Leeds United after a 16-year absence will be back in the Premier League next season. And on the counter-attack, Leeds United have scored a second goal that is going to win them the game away at Manchester City with just 10 men. He's too good for Leeds United. Well, of, course, of course he is. He's, he's, a, he's a world-class manager. Name five clubs that he should be looking at. Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United, PSG and Spurs. Thank you. That is now 16 goals conceded in the last four games for Leeds United. They are in serious trouble. Leeds have been battered. Ellen Road evacuates, Tottenham celebrate, and Son has another goal. Marcelo Bielsa has been sacked by Leeds United after three and a half years in charge at Ellen Road. He's brought values to the club. He's made Leeds feel special, but just another club now. Leeds nil, Tottenham Hotspur four. Leeds sacked Marcelo Bielsa after they were hammered at home by Tottenham in a display of strength and ruthlessness from Antonio Conte's team. Uh, Leeds fans enthrall to Marcelo Bielsa and you understand that because he's brought them up into the Premier League for the first time in 16 years. But they were divided over the decision to sack him, that's for sure. They weren't happy about the fact that it was leaked to the media prior to it actually being announced. Actually, what happened was... It happened. They didn't make their announcement till 24 hours later. Everyone was very aware of the decision, including Marcelo Bielsa and, and the players. Uh, you can understand why they made that decision, because I think probably it was the worst display I have seen by a Premier League team since Norwich capitulated at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Mickey Gray said the players are down tools. Replacement to be confirmed tomorrow, who we expect to be Jesse Marsh, most recently of RB Leipzig, where he was sacked after just uh, three months. First of all, uh, Crookie, just explain to us how you think it's going to pan out over the next couple of days, because I understand there's a bit of an issue with a work permit as well. I don't think it's any surprise that Leeds have pulled the trigger on Marcelo Bielsa. We spoke about it on the podcast. Uh, looking ahead to this weekend, there were reports coming out of South America that it was going to happen. They needed a a positive performance, a positive result. Clearly, they didn't get that. I'm not sure the players down tools. I think if you look at the injuries they've got, I think the group of players that took the pitch at Ellen Road at the weekend just aren't good enough to compete in the Premier League. And maybe that highlights an issue when it comes to the owners and the lack of investment in January. I think there are Leeds fans who have been suggesting that. He was always going to go Bielsa at the end of the season. He only ever signs a one-year rolling contract. I think he knew and the club knew that it had run its course at Ellen Road. It's the longest that he's ever been employed anywhere for club or country, but they've decided to accelerate that decision because of the form, because of the number of goals they've conceded, and because actually they're in real peril when you consider they've played more games than anybody else down at the bottom of the table. Um, and in terms of Jesse Marsh, I think that will happen. Um, I spoke to Kevin Hatchard on Saturday night and said, what are we expecting from Jesse Marsh? He, he's a combustible character, uh, didn't see eye to eye with the RB 
Leipzig players, but maybe that's the type of person that Leeds need now, just to give them that kick up the backside and get them over the line, because it wouldn't take much to keep them in the Premier League, particularly when those injured players come back. He does have a bit of an easy job in terms of raising morale. He just needs to allow them to eat properly. Um, <laughs> and they'll be delighted about that because Bielsa was very strict on diet and what they could and couldn't put into their body. Um, relegation is a real possibility, isn't it, um, Trevor? Leeds have now conceded 60 league goals this season, five more than bottom club Norwich City, 20 in February alone. 20 goals, it's a new record for the Premier League. Uh, they are only the second team in Premier League history to ship three or more goals in five consecutive matches. That is abysmal. Yeah, that's uh, it doesn't read well. Um, I understand why there's a, a, there's a lot of complexities with the Leeds fans and why they kind of adore him, but it's almost like some of them are still sad to see him go. I think the writing was on the wall. I think you look at the, especially in February, you look at the results, but there's actually data that shows after a run of results like this in the last two or three seasons, they've had a really good run. I think that the players still were playing for him. And I feel if um, he was given a bit more time, he may have been able to turn this around, but I understand why the owners have done it. But yeah, I think it'll be, a, it's a sad day for Leeds United and, and a sad, sad day for the fans because they really did take to the manager. They did, but it was such a poor display and the system clearly wasn't working. The approach wasn't working. I mean, well, He's I, not going to change his philosophy. He's not going to change the way that lost, he wants to play. They lost five games play. in a row conceding more than three that. goals. I understand that, Sam. But when They're you've going to get best, relegated you, if they continue I know, but like when that. you've got your best three players out, and again, we mentioned it earlier, the recruitment's not being good enough at Leeds United. I think they weren't ready to lose their best three players down the spine of the team. Um, Bamford obviously scored up most of the goals last season. You've got Calvin Phillips, who, again, he's a, a captain of the I club. understand that, but and it Liam highlights Cooper. the fact that he decided to keep such a small squad. And also, mm. you know, you will look back at the game, and I don't know if you've seen it, you'll see that actually Cork and Rafinha struck the woodwork for Leeds. They missed an open goal that they should have scored. But... They were so bad they couldn't even score that. They looked like a team that had lost faith in what they were being asked to do. Now, we've had this conversation before. Their USP is their fitness, their desire to run, their desire to fight more than anybody else. But when you take that away, and that actually disappears after a certain amount of time, you can't keep doing that for three, four years with the same group of players. And when you take that away, Crook, the quality of the players isn't actually there. I, I agree more with you, I think, than with, with Trevor Sam. I think... It, you can laud somebody for sticking by their principles, but when circumstances change, as they did for Leeds, when you do lose those key players that Trevor has alluded to, surely if Bielsa was this godlike manager uh, that Leeds fans make him out to be, he would have found a way to combat that and maybe a way to change the style. I, I don't see him as a messiah. I think if you look at his managerial CV, it's okay. I don't think it's quite as good enough to get the credit that has been bestowed upon him. And I think if, if he continued in the job, I think Leeds would have been relegated. I think making the change gives them a fighting chance of staying up. It's not going to be easy because, as I mentioned, that they haven't got um, games in hand as some of those around them have. They've got no momentum at all. I think Jesse Marsh needs to come in and hit the ground running. Antonio Conte uh, did say that uh, Saturday's emphatic win at Leeds has to be the starting point for his side, Trevor. And uh, they got a helping hand with United dropping points. Again, more on that later. But Harry Kane showed the sort of quality on the ball and the desire off the ball that Conte wanted to see. Yeah, listen, he's, uh, I think he's, um, his wick has been definitely lit against Manchester City a couple of weeks ago. Um, I like that. He, he looks like he's really playing with a, with a bit between his teeth and something to prove. He's just um, broke the record with Hungman's son for the most... 
goal combinations between two players, 37 goals beating Drogba and Lampard. I think there's a lot to work with um, at Tottenham. And I think if Antonio Conte, we mentioned this before, if he does bring in players that can uh, add to that the strength of not the squad, the team, I think Tottenham can be a force again. But you've got a top manager there. You've got to back him. But it's great to see um, Kane, especially with it being a World Cup year. Uh, great, great to see Kane back, looking like he's enjoying football, scoring goals, assisting goals. And actually, that record uh, of 37 goals, I think that you have to start to understand and appreciate the passing range that Harry Kane has got because it's not oh, just about his finishing. That pass for the final goal that Son it scored was. was absolutely sublime, wasn't it? Brilliant, dripping over the top of the, the, the back line and Son taking it very well as well. Um, I spoke to Matt Doherty after the game. Uh, I think he was a better fit, actually, at right wing back for them. He understood the system. The system worked properly. I thought Harry Winks played really well. He played one peach of a ball down the left side, which set up Sessignon to cross for the first goal. But a lot of that was to do with Son's movement. He was being man-marked by Luke Ayling. It didn't work. And he was dragging him all over the place. And it was leaving a huge gap on that left-hand side for Sessignon to exploit. Uh, Tottenham and Arsenal will have more points than Manchester United if they win their games in hand. And United's next three games are City Tottenham and Liverpool and Manchester United had an horrendous afternoon at home against Watford. Nil-nil against a relegation candidate, Trevor. They had 22 shots on goal, but only three on target. 67% possession. They missed chances. Ronaldo hit a post. Bruno Fernandes missed a hat for. Elanga missed one. The failure to win against one of those contenders for the drop at home is another low point. And because of the fixtures that are coming up, I think they're in a really tough position. They are. And, um, you know, I've I, I seen the highlights of this game and it didn't surprise me because, you know, Roy going in at Watford, he's going to try and keep them very disciplined, um, keep them nice and tight. And they're going to play almost like a, a 5-4-1 and it's going to be difficult to break them down. And although they did have chances, um, they've not been clinical enough apart from Ronaldo and he seems to be massively off the boil as well. And uh, yeah, I can see a real jeopardy for them finishing in the top four and that's going to have massive repercussions going forward and, and, and their recruitment model. OK, here we go. Here is the verdict of Salford superfan Alex Crook. <laughs> Do you know what? I've not got much to add. Um, I, I very nearly didn't even tweet about this Manchester United performance and result very on, nearly on Saturday. almost restrained yourself. I, I almost <laughs> restrained myself. In fact, I think I did restrain myself until watching the highlights on television. So it's probably around about midnight. But actually, I uh, put some thoughts together. It was appalling. It's, it's just another chapter in what has been an absolutely dreadful season. To only take one point from two games against the Watford side, who will end up in the championship next season, no question about that, is unforgivable, really. They had so many attempts at getting shots on goal. But actually, in terms of clear-cut goal-scoring chan- chance, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Ben Foster didn't really have too many saves to make. There was so much attacking talent. Rashford, Alanga, Fernandez, Ronaldo, all on the pitch at one time. To still not be able to score a goal at home is unforgivable. I said on the boot room a couple of weeks ago when I went into a rant about the players and my dislike of this particular group of Manchester United players, the top four is gone. Forget it. It's not going to happen. It's Tottenham or Arsenal for the top four. Uh, Probably Arsenal. And I think most Manchester United fans can't wait for this season to end now. It's been absolutely dismal. And it seems to get worse and worse and worse by the week. Uh, Watford, three points from safety. Still, they remain a side that hardly threatens, don't they, Trevor? 19 points. And despite a better defensive structure going forward, getting them firing with only two and a half months of the season remaining is a real tricky task isn't it I mean it's okay getting them solid at the back but making them score goals is is proving to be very difficult yeah listen I think you're right but I I also feel I was at the Villa game um, last week when they were very very restricted first half they sat in they probably had the best chance the first half and then second half they played a little bit more expansive won that game got all three points and I can see that being a, a good model, a good template for them going forward, because mm. even if they don't win games, they're going to pick up points. And I actually don't think Watford are completely out of it. You look at Brentford, you look at other teams that have been dragged down into this, even Everton. Um, I think there's going to be, a, I think there's going to be a couple of big, big clubs leave the Premier League this year. And um, Watford are going to be fighting all the way. And they have got good quality, you know, throughout the side. They've got good quality. They've got a good model and a good formation in which they all understand. And if they... If you can get Sauer on the ball, he's got the quality. Obviously, Dennis, if King can start firing, I think they've got firepower to win games by the odd goal. The, the, one of the problems they have got is they've played 26 games and uh, Burnley, Everton, Newcastle have all played games less than that. Um, and also, they're coming from a position where they've got 19 points at this stage of the season. Now, doing some maths and we sort of worked out the average number of points that you need uh, to stay in the Premier League. And we think it's about, well, it's 35.2. So you need about 36 in order to ensure you you stay up. And, and most of the time, it's around about 37 in order to stay in the Premier League. Let's just say it's 36 this year. They need 17 points between now and the end of the, the, the campaign. Can you see Watford getting 17 points? There's more chance of Trevor's hair growing back than Watford <laughs> getting 17 points. <laughs> Actually, I was going to go for a trip to Turkey, so you better be careful with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one team who won't be worrying about relegation as much as they were, are Newcastle United. 2-0 winners away at Brentford in a six-pointer. Newcastle putting distance between them and the bottom three with a fourth win uh, in five for Eddie Howe. Much better second half for the Bees, but Newcastle, the better team 
on the day. Seven unbeaten now for Eddie. Four wins and three draws during that process. And uh, look, Thomas Frank says it all changed when Josh De Silva was sent off and it was all very random and he shouldn't have been sent off. But that was an above the ankle challenge, mistimed, out of control. An example of VAR working properly, Trevor. Yeah, I agree. I think it was a dangerous challenge. It was unnecessary. It's not like he was right in front of goal. Just a little bit more discipline. Um, and, you know, I think it might be the situation where you look at the, the magnitude of that match. Both teams are down there. And, um, you know, it's one of them where you've got to control yourself and you've got to not play the occasion, play the match. And I, I just feel he's gone over the top. Just too much enthusiasm. And for me, it, it is a red card. And I'm pleased for Newcastle because, you know, I know they've got new owners. I know I know the, the, the fans and the club have had a lot of flack off people outside of the North East. But... They've kept their composure. They've stuck together. I think uh, Eddie Howe's done an excellent job in motivating the players. And I'm really pleased for Joe Linton because we've seen him the last couple of seasons really struggle to find any kind of consistency, any kind of form, um, not scoring goals, being almost a bit of a, a joke uh, to a lot of fans outside of Newcastle and even inside Newcastle. And for him to get the opening goal and then obviously Willock, he's back on his scoring run. I think they're, 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 they're definitely going to be safe and I think it's a very exciting future for Newcastle United Football Club. It's the organisation uh, that Eddie and his coaching staff have brought to Newcastle. No Kieran Trippier. He was there as a cheerleader. I saw Trevor uh, tweeting a picture about that and uh, had a bit of a pop at uh, our own Simon Jordan in the process. Well, can I just can I just put in there? Because I don't think a lot... Because I, I did get a little bit of stick from certain people. And I don't think people understand. When you're injured and you've got a long-term injury, which, you know, two or three months, which Kieran Trippier has got... You're not, you're not, you don't need to go. It's not something that you have to do as a, a, a member of the squad. You don't have to go to away games, especially when it's 200, 250 miles away. But that, for me, just shows the, the, the personality of Kieran Trippier and why signing him wasn't just for, you know, him going there for a bit of glory and a bit of money. He was going there to try and achieve something and coming back for other reasons as well. So, yeah, and no, I was pleased to see him there. And it, it's, it's really important when you've got a squad where you're one of the most experienced players and you can see that they're desperate for points to stay in the Premier League. I think it's important that you've got that togetherness and you show the lads that you're there. And he probably was in the changing room giving them, you know, a little bit of a G up. I think it was a fantastic thing for him to do. And it shows that, you know, he, he respects his teammates. He wants them to do well and he appreciates the opportunity that and the platform that Newcastle United have given him. And I think his presence there and the fact that he did go to such limits to, to make sure he could still be part of it and that the celebration from Joe Ellington uh, racing the length of the pitch to uh, run to the Newcastle fans. Two big examples of the harmony uh, and the team spirit that Eddie Howe has managed to build in a relatively short space of time in what was perhaps a divided dressing room under Steve Bruce. That team spirit was a big reason that he was so successful at Bournemouth. They probably lost it a bit in the final season. If he can keep that and, and make some exciting new additions in the summer and, and not disrupt that team spirit, I think the future is really bright for Newcastle and for Eddie Howe. And, and like Trevor, I'm absolutely delighted because there were a few dissenting voices when he was appointed. I think yeah. it's great to see a young English coach given a chance at what will be next now one of the biggest clubs in the country and making a success of it. I can't wait to go back to all those people who said that uh, Eddie Howe couldn't sort out a defence 
because they've been brilliant defensively since uh, he got them organised. Um, I thought it was a great header uh, from Joe Ellington, really powerful uh, from a brilliant cross. Willock's goal, very composed finish, but probably the moment of the match. And, and you know, in a week where we've had rather depressing news from all four corners of the globe, and, you know, I know that football is incredibly unimportant in comparison to what is happening in Ukraine, uh, but to have... Christian Eriksen come mm. back onto the pitch as a second half substitute was a wonderful good news story. Yeah, as a parent of, of lads that play football, um, you know, we were all watching that game live um, eight months ago and we, it was a Sunday. We're just, uh, just about to play up the Sunday lunch and we couldn't eat for about an hour. We was, it just took us all and uh, there was a real lull in the house for a long time after that incident and to see him, I mean, First and foremost, we've got to give credit to, you know, academics, people in medical um, industry for the, the what they've been able to achieve and, and, and the, the, the moves that they've made forward in medical technology and, and the fact that he's able to, one, live and breathe and be with his family, but also then to, to get to a level of fitness where he can go and play again and play a, a sport that he loves. It was an absolutely amazing moment. And yeah, I was really pleased for him, you know, and he's in his love of the game um, to be able to get back on a pitch in the Premier League. I think it's a brilliant story. And an amazing time frame when you think that it is, you know, eight months. It's unbelievable. And he's got this tiny little device now that's in his heart, which regulates it. But also, if he does have a problem, it will restart it. And mm. if you've ever seen the videos of footballers who have got this in um, implanted into the into their heart on YouTube, and you can see it, it is an amazing... It's, it's amazing some of the things that have happened during the course of the last 10 years. And, and as you say, medical science really saving the career of someone, but also saving the life of someone mm. uh, as well. Crook, do you want to just quickly speak about this? Because you were commentating that day, weren't you? Yeah, and it was quite an emotional moment yesterday um, when listening from the Amex, we were told that he was coming on. Fantastic ovation from both sets of supporters and probably football fans up and down the country uh, as well. And you're right, we're in need of a feel-good story. Uh, at the moment, I think it's an uh, incredible testament to Christian Eriksen's uh, desire to play the game that he loves because I don't think this is financially motivated. The, the easy thing uh, would have been to retire and accept his fate. He hasn't done that. I wish him all the best. And I think for Brentford, him coming on this second half, the return of Ivan Tony did give them a lift. Their performance did improve with those two on the pitch. So maybe that gives them a fighting chance now for the rest of the season. But again, like Leeds, they're one of those teams, I think, a bang in trouble. Yeah, and they're in trouble because they've played 27 games and have 24 points. So Burnley and Everton have got three games in hand on them. And Everton actually got to play Brentford in the not-too-distant future as well. Let's talk about what happened at Goodison Park last night. Another big feature of game day. The uh, two Ukrainians in the matchday squads remind us that there are much bigger things than football matches happening. And the pre-match taking of a knee just serves to emphasise that fact here again. Boyner, though, caught in possession by Allen. Forces his way past Rodri too. He's got support from John Joe Kennedy inside the box. And that side netting, half of Goodison thinks it's in. He won't be trying to keep it alive. And he's hit by Richarlison. And well saved by Edison. It was straight at the Brazilian goalkeeper from his international teammate. Bernardo Silva, though, making progress in field. And he's found Foden, and he forces a good save from Jordan Pickford. Cancelo with a clever check, goes for goal. 
Pickford has to make another save, puts it up into the air. Sterling into Gundogan, little back heel, De Bruyne again, edge of the penalty area, good save by Pickford, hit by Bernardo Silva, another good save by Pickford, and Van der Beek manages to prevent Foden getting to the rebound. To Bernardo Silva on the left-hand side, driven in low, bit of a deflection, Foden's in there and Manchester City have taken the lead. Phil Foden has poached a goal with nine minutes left to play. I mean, whether you like or hate VAR, Oh, he's given the offside, it's not wow. a penalty. I mean, the offside happened I'm afterwards. Shocked. That's not why it's not a penalty. The VAR has decided there is no need for Portini to go and look at the monitor. And I think this it's is why... Handball. Everton nil, Manchester City won. Now, I'm going to start with the penalty shout, right? Yeah. Because it has a huge seismic impact on the title race and the relegation fight as well. Everton denied a penalty when the ball hits Rodri's arm in the area with minutes to go. Everton 1-0 down at this time. Now, after an extensive VAR look, I think it's a minute and a half, something like that, no penalty is given. Now, some people thought that it was declined for offside. That is not true. The Premier League have clarified that the VAR team didn't think there was conclusive evidence that the ball hit Rodri under the T-shirt line, what they described as the red zone yesterday, publishing a graphic uh, of the green zone and a red zone of the T-shirt line, which is just underneath the shoulder. Now, they reiterated, reiterated once again that it was nothing to do with offside. This was a penalty. There is no doubt about it. I don't care who you support, what team you watch, whether you're a Liverpool fan, a Man City fan, a Chelsea fan, an Everton fan, a Tottenham fan, it doesn't matter. Everybody who's got eyes can see that this is a blatant handball. Even Trevor Sinclair, Manchester <laughs> City's most one-eyed vocal supporter, <laughs> thinks it was a... Penalty. I was there. Uh, I called it straight... I mean, listen, I called it straight away. I thought he could be in trouble. Looking at the replays on the monitor, which at the time, the, man, the, the referee didn't have that luxury. He couldn't look at... The, the replays so I can understand why split second he may not have given it yeah my problem is that's Paul Tierney yeah yeah my problem is why Chris Cavana in the VAR room looking at that incident didn't insist that he goes to have a look on the monitor because for me it was it was way south of where the sleeve line was it was definitely a penalty the, the actually the spin on the ball and the movement of Rodri's arm he got done off the spin and he moved his arm to, to stop the ball moving away from him in a pretty uh, dangerous position in his own box. I can't understand why the VAR got it so wrong. I can't really blame the on-field referee unless I'm wrong in my understanding of the rules where he should ask VAR, can I have a look at the monitor? Because I thought it was the other way around. He's made a decision. If VAR feel that like he may have made the wrong decision or the incorrect decision, yeah, VAR has to him tell him then, to go and look yeah. at the monitor, and, and they can only that. do it's, that if there's conclusive and evidence, and they say there wasn't. Yeah, and you can understand why this big club bias is it. going around. Because for me, that was Manchester City, a big club, getting a huge, huge slice of luck, and actually VAR completely inept. Well, one of the things that a lot of people have done on social media, and this is probably not the right thing to say, but pointing out that Chris Kavanagh actually comes from Ashton under line, which is in Greater Manchester. So uh, there's a few people who are sort of, well, how, why is he refereeing this game? Anyway, I'm sure there's, it's nothing to do with that, but it, it is to do with the fact that he, he's completely, let's just say it, he's bottled it because he has to, he knows that if he turns around and says in the last minute of a game, which could end up deciding the title, 
giving a penalty for for Everton, then he, he he's going to come under all sorts of scrutiny. Frank Lampard was furious, rightly so. It's an understatement actually to say he was furious. Compare that to Craig Dawson at Leicester when he scored for West Ham with his arm, uh, which was clearly below the t-shirt line. We we completely debated that then. It's incredible that Paul Tierney didn't have a look. Lampard put Kavanaugh firmly in the line of fire. I don't mm. want an apology from the Premier League. He said it means nothing. At best, it's incompetence. At worst, left it hanging. I don't know. Clear he's not happy wow. at all, Alex. Yeah, listen, I don't necessarily uh, subscribe to the conspiracy theorists. I don't think any of our referees are um, biased. No, totally. I totally agree with you. Of course I, not. But you I, know, understand why people have started yeah. to mention it. Yeah, I think a lot of them are incompetent. And I think Chris Cavanaugh is one. I was at Brighton against Aston Villa. It wasn't a dirty game. I lost count of the number of yellow cards. John Brooks had an absolute nightmare uh, in that game. And not because he booked uh, Matty Cash for his celebration in support of his Poland teammate. We'll come on to that. He had to do that by the letter of the law, but he totally lost control of the game. And I've been saying for a long time now, I think the standard of officiating uh, isn't on a par uh, with the standard of the league. This is the best league in the world. Therefore, we should have the best officials. We don't. I think it's a big problem for the PGMOL. And I think it's a big issue in terms of the title race, because as you say, uh, had they've been given a penalty Everton, and we can assume that nine times out of ten, they would have scored the penalty, they get a point. All of a sudden, pressure is right on Manchester City. In mm. fact, you could almost say Liverpool are favourites for the title. That could be a season-defining decision or lack of decision, and not just for Liverpool and for Manchester City, but for Everton as well, yeah. because they are in the relegation dogfight. Their performance was much improved than the one that I watched at Southampton a week previously. So credit to Frank Lampard and whatever his coaching staff have done on the training pitch. But that is a real sucker punch, as was the goal, by the way, because it was such a, a simple error from Michael Keane and all that hard work was undone. Yeah, uh, Everton held on for 82 minutes against City. Brilliant defensive display. Well organised, well coached. Give Frank credit for that because they were fighting for the cause. The goalkeeper was brilliant, by Amazing. the way, Jordan Pickford. Yeah. He did excellent. But I think I mentioned that this team would be better at Goodison Park and maybe their problems might come away from home. But they can't just flip-flop like that, Trevor. It needs to be consistent. They need to, they need to produce what they produced today or at the weekend on a regular basis. They do. They do. And I'm sure that's what Lampard is going to be insisting. I think he would have gone in there fuming in the changing rooms at the end of the game. And uh, he would have been pleased and proud of his players and the effort that they put in. I thought Alan was a real fawn in the, in the side for, you know, Kevin De Bruyne. He kept on dispossessing him. I thought Decore stepped through lines really well. He, he used his asset, his main asset, to step past players and run away from them. Um, I think they're a little bit short. I thought, well, we did try hard, but I think they had a lot more threat as soon as Mary Gray came on. But I was impressed with the fullbacks. They sat in. They understood the, the quality of the opposition and they didn't go roaring forward, you know, without a, a, a thought in their mind. They stayed nice and composed, sat in, and they were always ready for any kind of breaks from Manchester City. And they probably did deserve a draw. You know, you, listen, Jordan Pickford was man of the match. Um, I think the, the back four as a unit played really well together. The two in front of them, Alan and Decore. But all over the pitch, there was a desire to compete. And, and, and there was, it was almost like sometimes when you see teams face Manchester City, there's a lack of belief that they can get anything. I thought there was always a belief from this Everton side that they, they're in the game and they, they felt like they were in the game and they could nick something. So he has to keep that momentum going. Uh, away from home is a big problem because they've been getting smashed and, and, and Lampard and, and his coaching staff will have to deal with that and, and try and turn that around. But they're in it. They're one point above the relegation zone. Um, you don't have to be any um, genius about football to understand how far they are in it. They need to start picking up results. 
Yeah, and he said, didn't he, after the game, that he, he knows that the next couple of weeks are going to be uncomfortable, but stick with us because it was uncomfortable before I got here and we'll try and get ourselves out of it after that. Um, they played Boreham Wood, actually, on Thursday night, live on uh, Talk Sports in the <laughs> FA Cup. So they have a great chance of getting to the FA Cup quarterfinals as well. Just a quick word on that unfortunate goal. I thought it was a case of Phil Foden showing his unbelievable talent and touch to take that ball away. Other players, Michael King, for example, just wasn't as quick as reacting to that as as Phil Foden was. He just, you know, he missed it a little bit and then Foden's reactions were lightning quick and his finish was superb. I, yeah, I think you've got to applaud Phil Foden, but it was incredibly unfortunate on the Everton uh, defence. I did speak to some City fans last night, not just Trevor, who thought that the <laughs> performance wasn't very good, but they know it was a huge, huge three points and certainly... It was. Uh, Brighton nil, Aston Villa one. Let's get down to the south coast. Uh, Crookie was there. Uh, seven without a win for Brighton, whose season is in danger of tailing off a bit. Villa, much needed win. Steven Gerrard wanted much, um, wanted more, a new medicine uh, for his team. And uh, they certainly came up with that. Uh, Matt Cash with the first goal. Cracker, by the way. What a hit. And then unveiling the shirt in support of the Polish teammate, Thomas Kenciora who's stuck in Kiev with his family. He's a Dynamo Kiev player, plays for Poland with Matt Cash. Um, Cash got booked, even though the clubs had all switched their digital boards around to support Ukraine this week. At some grounds, Everton, for example, where two players from the Ukraine met in the first half and uh, before the game and um, decided to embrace and cuddle yeah. up. Um, Manchester United, they were even more visible with their support. Strange that no one had any common sense. Just so, you know, this for this weekend, let's just back off with the yellow cards here. Yeah, but I think it was the same after the, the Leicester helicopter crash. Was it? I think it was the same after the Leicester helicopter crash. Damari Gray was shown a yellow card for taking his shirt off. So uh, obviously no special dispensation was made then. And, and it wasn't at the weekend. As I've already said, I don't blame John, John Brooks, the referee, for that decision because he was following the letter of the law. What was equally disappointing, actually, I was trying to uh, speak to Matty Cash after the game for an interview to be played out on White and Jordan this week, Sam, when you and I are filling in for the dynamic duo. And Aston Villa didn't want any questions about that shirt tribute. I didn't really understand that. If you're going to make a statement and, and tweet Some about it on social yeah. media, why would you not be allowed to speak about it? That that puzzled me. But in terms of the performance, Villa the better team. Brighton's home form worrying now. And there were some staff at the Amex suggesting maybe they could be dragged into the, the relegation fight. I, I don't see that, but they still lack that end product. They had a lot of the ball in the first half, but didn't really work the goalkeeper. Terrific finish from Matty Cash. Equally well-taken goal from Ollie Watkins, actually, albeit it was terrible defending from Joel Veltman. And it was a much-needed win for Villa because it was one in eight in all competitions before the weekend. And it it, it just, um, just moves them a bit closer to the top half of the table, which will be their ambition. One question that I want to ask you is, is why Graham Potter was wearing a suit? He's always fairly smart on the touchline, isn't he? No, he, I've never he seen always, him in a suit. He always suit wears, coat. wears that nice grey overcoat. Yeah, you know, he, he quite often wears that. No, it looked like it was a bit Ralph Harsenhuttle for me. He was going uh, going for a full uh, full wardrobe change. Anyway, um, uh, Coutinho's uh, free kick was brilliant, wasn't it? Great save from Sanchez down to yeah. his right. A one-handed save. And you need your goalkeeper performing 
uh, when you're in and amongst it. And Brighton aren't in and amongst it. I don't think they will get sucked in. But Aston Villa, as you say, needed uh, a result. And Trevor, they played two up front, Ings and Watkins together. Steven Gerrard saying he wanted his goals on the pitch. Yeah. The second was a fantastic ball down the line by Mings. Fell to Watkins. He took it well. First goal from uh, him since mid-December. Yeah, I feel, I feel he's been um, overlooked a little bit. He's been substitute quite a lot in recent games. And I've always said uh, from when I went to watch the Watford game, their forwards are a little bit samey-samey, all technical, all intricate, but no real pace, no real power. And I think if you you need to have that difference and that diversity in, in a profile of a player to um, make it difficult for the opposition defence. I thought Watkins did that superbly well. He, he ran in the channels, he spreaded the game. And that gives players like Ramsey, like McGinn to, and Coutinho to step in them holes that are developed because he's stretching the opposition defence. And I think it worked perfectly. And it's no surprise that he's in the side and they've got back to winning ways. Um, I'm a big fan of his. He's an honest boy. You know, he might not have the most amount of natural ability. He's not one that you think, oh, yeah, he's going to showboat. He's going to do this skill or that skill. He does things at match tempo with great intensity. And if you can't match that as a defender, you're going to be found wanting. I thought he, he it kind of encapsulated all of that in his performance. So it's a good win for um, Aston Villa, much needed for Steven Gerrard and his team, and they can build on that. Crystal Palace won, Burnley won. Patrick Vieira felt that Crystal Palace were not brave enough in possession after their 1-1 draw with Burnley, but insisted he was happy with his tactical tweaks. They went into the game on the back of a midweek win at Watford, which saw them revert to their usual 4-3-3 formation after a change of system for the uh, defeat at Chelsea. Uh, they went 4-2-3-1 with Luka Milivojevic, James MacArthur and Jeffrey Schlupp getting recalls but it meant there was a load of attacking players on the bench. And did that cost them in the end, Trevor? Possibly. I mean, hindsight's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing and you can say ifs and buts, but listen, Burnley are fighting for their lives and they're fighting for points. Uh, and I think they've got a bit of confidence, a bit of win behind their sail. And, and they're going to be difficult for anyone to play against, as we've seen um, with, with the Tottenham result. I think it was a fair result. I think, you know, I can understand why Patrick Vieira would say that they need to be braver on the ball. But again, you have to give credit to Burnley, you know, that, that their intensity, their taking responsibility, their, their understanding of their model and their formation and what they're trying to achieve. They're a difficult team to break down and especially with this little bit of confidence and momentum that they've got. Um, so I think, listen, I think both teams would have been happy with, with the point. Um, and it's a great point away from home, uh, building on the back of that home win for Burnley. So, yeah, lots of twists and turns to come, but I think that was a really good matchup and uh, probably the fair result. Southampton 2, Norwich 0. This was a Friday night game, um, so it seems a long time ago now, but I mean, Norwich really were very poor in this match because Southampton actually could have scored more. Angus Gunn made a couple of big saves in the match. Southampton dominated uh, the game. I thought that actually Norwich were pretty fortunate not to be further down at half-time. There were opportunities in the game for Norwich, but they just don't have the quality going forward. Mm. I thought Southampton deserved their victory and probably deserved to win it by more than the two goals that they did, Trevor. Yeah, and fair play to Angus. You know, he's had he's at critics in the past and he, he's still a young, developing goalkeeper, even though he is... One of one of them is crooky, by the way, but he's had to nip off because he's speaking to uh, Rick Parry. So he's left us to, uh, to, to, to... Well, but we can give him a bit of stick, actually, because he's always having a go at poor Angus and Angus did well, and yeah, we should say it. Correct. And listen, both goals were taken really well. I thought Shea Adams' goal was excellent. Great feat in a tricky situation. And just, he's got that in his locker. The, the little, um, 
you know, doing something unexpected. It was a superb scoop after a bit of a mis- misunderstanding from the Norwich defence. And then Romeo's goal, you know, it went through bodies. Goalkeeper had no chance, but what an absolute sweet strike that was. And yeah, Southampton are going great. You know, the manager's happy with the team. The team look happy with the formation. They seems to be a really harmonious team spirit amongst the group. And uh, yeah, they'll be enjoying the season and that's another three points chalked off for them. I mean, their goal difference is absolutely abysmal. 40 minus 40 Norwich City. Mm. They've won, what, two away, two at home this season. They've got 17 points. So bearing in mind what we were saying a little bit earlier on about the fact that you need roughly... 36 to, to stay, stay up, up, 37. They're looking for 20 more points, Trevor, with their goal difference. They're not going to get 20 more points, are they, in 12 games? It's just, it just isn't going to happen. No, and especially... You're talking you about look- them winning six of those matches and drawing three. It ain't happening. They're going down. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's almost an impossible task. And it's not because of the points tally, because if they had a good group of players where you thought there was goals in the team, you thought they could keep clean sheets, you thought they could compete, you would say they've still got a fighting chance. But I think Dean Smith's doing everything. The, the quality of the squad is not good enough. It's as simple yeah. as that. And I think they're, they're given everything, they're driven, they have got a good team spirit. And, the, you know, I think that's testament to the manager of keeping that togetherness and keeping them believing. But... Yeah, I think it's impossible for them to stay up. So I think it's going to be two others with them. Don't ask me which two others, because I haven't got a Scooby all the way up to Brentford. <laughs> I don't think Brent- anybody has now. All the way up to Brentford. I think you can include any two from, from that uh, group. I'll tell you what, Leeds United, bang in trouble, I think. But yeah. uh, maybe the change of manager might turn things around for them. Brentford, obviously, in a situation where they could still falter. Really bad run. There's no chance of Leicester, is there? Falling? No, I think when you get to Aston Villa and Leicester and you look at their squads of players and the managers in charge and, you know, what they ex- where they expect to be in the league uh, to start with, um, I think. But they've got to be on it. They've got to make sure that they stay switched on and take each game as a cup final because they don't want to get dragged into it. I don't think they will. I think Aston Villa have got a really good squad. I think they've got, a, you know, the, the starting lineup when everyone's fit. I think they've got a fantastic group of players. And the same with Leicester. They've just had horrific injury problems. And, you know, their FA Cup holders uh, from last season, obviously six years ago, won the Premier League. I don't think there's any chance that they're going to get dragged into it, but they've got to be on the metal. Uh, congratulations to the winners of the League Cup. And thank you very much for uh, joining us, Trevor, and Crookie as well. Uh, Crookie and I are filling in for Simon and Jim this week because they're away on their travels. And Trevor Please be nice to me. will be joining us on Wednesday, <laughs> which we're very much looking forward to. So uh, looking forward uh, to that. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday evening with the uh, game day preview to look ahead to all the weekend's football action in the Premier League. And remember, there's commentary from the FA Cup on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday night this week on TalkSport. Thanks for downloading the game day podcast. Make sure you tell all your friends about us. Uh, we've been nominated for a big award this year, so we would love you to spread the word. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.